Welcome to the Working Well Podcast. I'm Tim Boris, CEO of Fresh Wellness Group. This show explores the diverse aspects of workplace health and personal performance. On the Working Well Podcast, we dive into the foundations of what makes wellness work in workplaces around the world. We connect with corporate leaders, executives, and industry experts who are helping make life more awesome at work and home. Join us to learn workplace wellness best practices, personal performance tips, and access resources to jumpstart your personal and corporate programs. Rod Miller is the president and CEO for CPHR Alberta, a not-for-profit organization representing over 6,000 members within the human resources community in Alberta, Northwest Territories, and Nunavut. In his role, Rod is responsible for the strategic direction of the organization, advocacy for the profession, and overseeing the standards for the CPHR designation in the region. Rod's career began in the pharmaceutical biotech industry. He then led the Calgary operation for an international recruitment firm building an award-winning organization while driving culture change. Prior to his current role, he led the corporate development organization at a large post-secondary institution where he and his team led the implementation of workforce development initiatives across the globe, including projects in Angola, Australia, Equatorial Guinea, Kazakhstan, and Mexico. Rod holds undergraduate degrees in zoology and economics, along with an MBA in leadership and strategy. In addition, Rod is a holder of the CPHR designation and chartered member of CPHR Alberta. Rod, thank you so much for joining us on the Working Well podcast, and it's uh, great to see you again. I I think the last time I saw you in person was uh, Disrupt HR um, just before the pandemic. That would have been December 2019. Uh, so mm-hmm. tell me what the last yeah. year, year and a half looked like for you. <laughs> well, well, as you know, like we were talking about before the show started, it uh, it has been like a year and a half that we have been immersed in this uh, this new uncharted environment, and uh, you know, it's both been I think affected all of us professionally and personally as we've kind of begun to navigate this. And so, from a perspective of CPHR Alberta, it really has been, um, I would say, uh, and this sounds kind of funny when I say this, it has been an incredible experience of transformation for us as an organization. Um, At the outset of it, as you know, we represent the HR community. We have about 6,000 members across uh, across Alberta, Northwest Territories and Nunavut. So there was this real demand for us to step up and begin to help our HR professionals navigate the unnavigatable, right? We haven't, in the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't have answers to all the questions that were, were coming our way. But what we really felt one of the outcomes that we wanted to achieve early was to just build a community that was connected, to, that was able to kind of begin to have conversations and insights. So we have really focused on developing a lot of programming around uh, supporting our HR professionals through the issues of the pandemic, particularly in the very beginning, you know, whether those were health and safety issues or legal issues or regulatory issues, whatever they might be. And so that's really evolved us into uh, doing a lot of our our work online now. And uh, a lot of the work that we've done, actually most of the work that we've done has been delivered virtually over the last, uh, you know, 18 months or so. And that's been a real benefit for us as an association. Um, As I mentioned, we represent the profession across the province and into the territories. And one of the challenges that we had had in the past was being able to really connect well with our membership in in the corners of where we are, right, in the province. And so what we found, one of the great outcomes of this experience has been not only to provide high quality professional development, connect with people like you along the way, but also to be able to connect the membership together in a sense of community, 
and to do so in an online fashion. And that really has been a highlight for us that it's been really a takeaway to say, how can we do that more and how can we do that better as we begin to emerge from this experience of being remote for so long? And what, how, what, what have we learned off of that that we can build into what we do as, as an association? And so that's been a, a really interesting journey for us. Personally, um, I took it as an opportunity to really focus in on what was important for me and as a person and as a leader, I, I remember seeing it at a conference last uh, last fall online that in order to lead well, we must be well. And so at the heart of my personal pandemic experience has been really focusing on my wellness. So whether that's my spiritual wellness, emotional wellness, physical wellness, whatever it might be, holistically taking a look and making sure that I'm setting myself up for success and able, able, being able to lead uh, not only my team, but also to lead well in my life and with my family. So it's been really an incredible journey over the last eight months to go through. That's uh, that's great to hear. And yeah, on a couple different points there, as, as far as just the the personal wellness, we, we tend to see people going down sort of two paths. <laughs> There's the people that have really used this opportunity to say, wow, yeah, this is an oppor- this is a chance for me to jump in and take a bit more care of myself and, and really look inwardly uh there are a lot of other people that we've seen uh, the fitness division of our business has has seen that dramatically where people are have just gone off the rails and they're at home they're struggling with it they're not as active as they were and i know i've said it before my my personal step count went from about 8500 a day on average down to about 1500 a day right and and so that in itself, and I'm I'm an active person. The days that I go and mountain bike, then it's you know twelve or fifteen thousand in that yeah. day. But there, I've had days under a thousand, and I get to bed at the end of the night. I'm like, what, what, what did I do? <laughs> like, not much, obviously. And yeah. <laughs> and so that's something that is really important for people to to realize, and for organizations to know that mm. yeah yeah there are people that are thriving, but there are also people that aren't. And mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. how do we manage that? On the on the organizational side, especially HR, you, you said six thousand professionals in in HR across the the province. HR has typically been a face to face, hands on type industry. I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone mm-hmm. thinks, mm-hmm. oh, I got to go see HR, and it's like the the, the walk no one of wants shame. that visit. By yeah, the way, <laughs> exactly the walk of shame down the hallway. Okay, right, right, totally. We yeah. were going to HR. Why are we going to HR? Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to go to HR. But <laughs> t- talk a bit about how the face of HR has changed over the yeah. last year and a half. Yeah, you know that's such a that's such a great question, Tim. Uh, you know, I remember in the very beginning, and I'll share with you a conversation that I had uh, with uh, with the CEO, and and. Um, and he said to me, you know, Rod, I rely upon my HR department to help me navigate this stuff, but I don't know if they know what to do. And so that's really been the opportunity that's been put in front of HR over the last eight months, 18 months has been to help organizations navigate what is, you know, new and uh, trailblaze as they've gone through this. And so that's really what's happened is that um, in some organizations, HR has really stepped in and stepped up and really supported strategically the organization as it's navigated what has been this experience and there's others who have not and i think the the opportunity that's kind of arisen here is that there there is a chance and has been a chance for hr to really step in and own that people function to say here's what we can do 
to get the best out of our people and to create an environment where our people, even in the pandemic, can thrive. And so I'm a bit of a human-centered design guy. And I think about iteration and trying things and failing and moving forward. And I think that's really been the opportunity for HR is to try things around people wellness and around people engagement that uh, could or could not work. And I think the try part is important because you, you really want to do that and give it a shot. But that gives you an opportunity to learn what might work forward for your, your organization. Let's take, for example, uh, flexible work, right? So uh, we were immersed in, in the environment where we were going to work remote. There was no choice. We had to be virtual. We had to be in our homes, wherever we might be. But we could not be in the office where we would gather together where work was a place. We now had to gather virtually and remotely through technology. And so that in and of itself was one of the biggest challenges for HR to begin to navigate. How do we move our people into that environment where they're now working remotely on technology that they're not really maybe used to. So there's learning development things there, there's training things there, there's IT things there, there's onboarding things there that really we had to, as a profession, really kind of dig into and move into and learn about and take it on, you know, because we needed to for organizations. So to me, that's kind of been some of the, the, the realization in this is that HR plays a very important role strategically to align and leverage the human capital that exists within those organizations. We, we really emerged from a profession of, I would say, transaction, where we dealt with things like pay or benefits or, you know, learning programs, whatever it be, to now we're in a, in a state of where we're a strategic advisor to organizations. So that's really important for us because when you take a look at the shift of where we've come from, from an economic perspective, from you know manufacturing into now what is really a knowledge-based economy, at the heart of that, and really any organization, is people. But the big difference today versus then is that your asset is now in people. It's actually up here. It's, it's the knowledge and abilities and skills that those individuals bring to your organization. So now it's time to ensure that we're investing in that as an asset and engaging that asset into the organization. And there's some fabulous things that are coming out around that in the literature on what that means around purpose and values and things like that. So it really has been an opportunity for HR to really step in and play a critical role strategically to help organizations and guide organizations through this pandemic into whatever is going to be the new normal that we're going to reside in down the road. Yeah, I love that. And there's several parts I want to dive into uh, Mm -hmm. and unpack what you had just said there. One of the key things is we see, we see this happening more, uh, we'll call it progressive organizations, but in, in the past, you said HR was very transactional and uh, not really seen as a strategic or, or player, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. And that shows in, in the fact that there a lot of companies don't have a, a chief human resources officer, a chief people officer. They have, they'll have the CFO, the CTO, the COO, the CEO, and yeah. a, VP, a VP of HR. Right. And, and I, I always liken that to it's like at Christmas dinner, there's the, the adult table and then the little kids table. And we're the team I, table. We're the yeah, team, the te- table. The team we're table. We're not quite yeah. kids and we're not quite adults, but we're teens, right? So. Yeah, exactly. But but now in the last 18 months, particularly, HR has been 
brought in and, and I, mm-hmm. into the into the fold, I guess you would say, mm-hmm. into the mm-hmm. strategic meetings. And this is a chance to shine. And this mm-hmm. is a chance for HR to say, yeah, you know what, we we're worthy to be here. And, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of HR professionals over the years, and there's a different mindset about that. Sometimes they, it's, it's almost this self-fulfilling prophecy is like, oh, well, I don't know if I want to speak up and talk to the executive suite because ooh, it's, it's the executive suite. And right. instead right. of being like, hey, you know what? People are the foundation of any business and we help people. That's what HR yeah. does. And, yeah. Yeah. and so I, I love to see that I've, I've heard executives say, hey, I talked to my HR department more in the last 18 months than I have in the last 18 years combined. Totally. And, totally. and that's, that's awesome to see. How do you, you know, see? I think what's, uh, oh, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, oh, go ahead. No, I was go just going to say, I think what's, what's in that is, uh, is we've had this, this experience where we've needed to transition and transform virtually overnight. And it, it kind of landed in HR's lap, right? When, so when the pandemic started, it was, well, we need to go to HR. And what does HR have to say? What does the people, you know, group have to say? And so it was then that HR was given the opportunity to, to be really at the table and take ownership of helping organizations navigate this. And fundamentally to that is, do you as an HR professional, do you understand the business that you're in? Do you know what it is that the organization is trying to achieve so you can align what you do through the people function to making sure that those outcomes remain? Because the goal here, the goal of, of remote working or virtual work was we need to keep the business going, right? So if you as HR know that, you know, you're, you're much more capable of being able to achieve that, that outcome. So I think that was the opportunity that gave HR the chance to kind of step up to the table. Now, now the opportunity is to get the seat at the table and remain there. So that's where I think we've, we've come to is that point now where, okay, you've really proven to us that you are strategic as a profession and everybody's you know different. There's different professionals that are at different levels of all this. So I'm just saying this is a blanket kind of thing yeah. is that you are strategic in your insight. You can't add value. And that's the key to get to the table. You need to be able to show that you can add value to the organization. If you're the chief technical officer, you can you know how to do that through systems. If you're the chief accounting or finance officer, you know how to do that through the numbers. You can leverage the numbers. If you're the chief operating officer, you know how to do that through the operations. So if you're gonna be the chief HR officer, you need to be able to do that through the people, which sit in the organization, the biggest asset ever. So now's the time for, I think, the. The, the people function to say, yeah, we can create value. We're part of this. We want to be at the table and we deserve to be there. We've shown our ability to do that through what has been the last 18 months. Absolutely. What is the old saying is success is when opportunity and preparation come together. And yeah. the opportunities here, those that are yeah. prepared are being able to step up and deliver. So that's, yep. that's yep. great. And the other part of that is you'd, mentioned about how people are the lifeblood of any business, oh, especially in the knowledge industry. And and in my uh, sphere of influence, the, the wellness and performance and well-being of people is, is a huge part. And we've been working with clients for the last 18 months and even before to help people realize, but that's come into place so much more. How do you see that 
helping HR and, and I guess, how do you see it progressing in the future? Mm. Yeah, that's, I think that's probably been the biggest highlight is, um, is the need for us to be thinking about and uh, ensuring that our people are, are well in their, in their lives. Right. Um, and that's not just, you know, great benefit programs. It's ensuring that people are given an opportunity to be successful, that they feel like they belong, psychological safety, all these other elements that we can get into and talk about today. But I think what the highlight has been is that uh, when people aren't well, and when people are challenged by, let's say, you know, the stresses of the pandemic, and let's say, let's give an example. So, you know, you take your your employees who are working at a place and they're coming together every day from, you know, eight to four or nine to five or whatever it is. And they have this boundary that they have between what their work life was and what their home life is. And so that they've kept that. And all of a sudden, within 24 hours at the start of the pandemic, you say, no, you're all going to work from home or work remote, whatever that was for the person. Well, that person has kids potentially, that person has a partner, people weren't going to school. Like it's just like there was this immersion into this work-life blender, uh, for lack of a better term. What that caused was an, an enormous amount of stress and strife for people. And we've seen it bear out in some of the health challenges that have certainly begun to emerge from this. But what that's done though, is it's highlighted the importance of an organization to play a role in that. You can no longer separate work and life. You can't. And any organization that decides that they want to do that, I'm not sure they're going to be the winners of the future, right? I think when you know, when you know, when you when you put at the core of your organization, the wellness and the well-being of your employees, you put out there that I care about you, you're important to me, I want you to be successful here, here's how we can do it. And uh, I think those are really important actions that an organization can take that really focus on retention and engagement. And so we do know from the literature that higher, higher engagement leads to higher retention, which leads to higher productivity because for many reasons, cost of turnover, all these things that happen. So what my, my message to people today is, is you need to invest in your people, not just from a training and development perspective. That's not it. You need to invest in them as people. What's important to them? What's important in their lives? How can I help you be the, your best self here at work? That also brings to light the importance of how we lead in organizations and the traditional models of leadership are now going to evolve. You know, those skills that we used to call soft skills, which was actually a derogatory term at the end of the day, because they're not soft. Uh, those essential skills now are becoming even more important than the hard skills of data analysis or accounting or finance or numbers that everyone might be. Those essential skills are actually becoming more and more important for leaders to have so that they can ensure that they are engaging their people, they genuinely care about their people, they're authentic in how they approach the people, and they're really giving people an opportunity to be the best selves at work. And I think that's the beauty of what uh, has been an outcome of this pandemic is just seeing that blossom and seeing the opportunity that sits there for organizations to capitalize on that. Absolutely, and there, there's a good uh, correlation between the, the leadership and, and trust in the organization, the trust is huge right now because and we're seeing this play out when organizations are mandating people back into the office uh, without necessarily, I guess, understanding all the different situations that everyone's in right now. And th this, yeah. there's still this prevailing mindset that if people are at home, they're slacking off. If, if I can't see your bum in your seat, you, you must be slacking off. And I think the opposite is true. Every study shows that people are working more and they're working harder and it's 
beating people into the ground in a lot of cases. Yeah. And well, so if you think what, about, what, think about say, that, what are some of the policies you're seeing around that? Yeah. If you, if you look at that, that that's such an interesting perspective because um, for, first and foremost, what was in the way of us working at home previous to the pandemic was the two, was two concepts, trust here. One, I don't trust my people and I fear that they're not working. So that's a leader mindset that, that fundamentally needs to change. If organizations are thinking, I'm now going back to what was before, which is a work is a place and you're going to come to that workplace. Your biggest issue is going to be retaining people because what people have experienced now is the opportunity to be successful in a virtual remote world. And yes, I can work in my own way, whatever that looks like. So flexibility around that is gonna be very important. So we've all been reading the literature on uh, the turnover tsunami that's projected to happen as we emerge from the pandemic in an area of the world, maybe not necessarily here in, in Alberta, but certainly in other parts of the world where individuals are gonna to begin to look at, uh, at roles that, um, that, that fit that lifestyle they're, that they're looking for or the organizations that live into that value of flexibility that the employee is looking for. That's gonna happen. And that's upwards of, you know, predicted to be anywhere from 40 to 50% of people are, are currently gonna you know, be leaving their roles for, for something else. That's directly related to that, that value set that you've identified as, as an employee that's important to you. Um, you know, I say to people all the time that what, what, what's happened here is an awakening, really. Uh, it's like, and, and I think um, this is why I think this is the renaissance of HR. It, it's, it's an awakening of what my life can be like as an employee outside of the constructs of what is defined as work. So when you take the constructs of work, which is nine to five, it's a place, those are the two biggest ones. When I blow those out the window and I recreate something or reimagine what work can be like, Maybe I can work from home. Maybe I start early. Maybe I got time for lunch with my kids. Then at the end of the day, I'm not in a commute. I can order my Instacart online to get my groceries delivered that night, which means I can go for a walk with my wife or spouse or partner or whatever. That's what's happening. That's what we're beginning to see emerging is that people are going, that's my life. That's what I want my life to be. I want to have my life and my work integrated in a way that works for me as an individual. Now, the other side of the coin of what we just talked about is um, organizations that that are keeping people at home and saying, yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to work flexible. We're going to have virtual work. And that's how it's going to be. That in and of itself places a huge burden on people because they don't know when to stop. It's easy if you have an office at home that you can close the door and you can say, hey, look, I'm not, I'm not in today. In fact, what I did in my home office, which you're seeing here, it's in its full glory, is I have my CPHR logo on my door. That tells me in my mind that this room is my office. So when I close this door, I close myself away from my office. So that whole concept of right to disconnect is gonna be really important because what's happening is that people are allowing the boundaries of their work to flow into their lives and not kind of knowing when to stop. So that in and of itself is a huge stressor and it's an anxiety ridden life for people when they think about all the work they got to get done and they're going to stay for, in the office for an extra 20 minutes, which turns into an hour. And all of a sudden, you know, you're kind of in this state of panic because you got to get things out the door. So as employers, we need to think about that too. We need to think about what is it that we're doing in organizations? Hey, it's great to work at home. It's great to be flexible, but are we allowing ourselves and our employees to be themselves at home? 
or are we pushing things on them because the workload's going to increase? That's an important conversation that that uh, employers and organizations must have uh, when when we think about going flexible and, and doing virtual remote work. For sure, and that's uh, leadership is a huge part of that. The mindset around that, but also the you talked about blowing up the constructs of what work is, and when we are at home, the those boundaries go both ways too because from an organizational standpoint i know a lot of people that are like it's just back to back to back to back meetings all day sitting in front of a computer and yeah. people don't even have time to go to the bathroom yeah. and and they have to like get out like beg off a meeting early to just literally go use the bathroom yeah, uh, yeah. one of the things that we're working with clients on uh, clients on the personal health and wellness side but also corporate clients is to look at what the the stats and the the research is saying about personal productivity throughout the day that getting up and walking outside around the block for five minutes has such a positive effect on mindset creativity uh, energy levels happiness as well as the productivity at work so as an employer why would you not want that to happen and how um, being able to set up your meeting structure throughout the day, setting up your your expectations from a leadership standpoint of how people take care of their personal health and wellness, because when they do that, it takes care of organizational health and wellness. And some companies we're seeing start to integrate that, and you'd have a lot more insight into what's going on in those areas, but that's that's something i'd say the the for us the biggest change that we've seen for from our private coaching clients as well as from our corporate organizational wellness clients is that that whole structure is changing rapidly yeah so those are really interesting points so let's let's dig into this a little bit so what i what i see here is um let's say the edict comes down from the top that, you know, we're gonna go, we're gonna go flexible and, you know, we're gonna create this virtual environment blended, whatever it might be. But if you have a leader who is uh, on their employees in the morning, um, who's on their employees at nighttime, who's on their employees in the weekend, because that's their mindset, that's how they lead. That's really, I'm gonna use the word destructive because that can be very destructive to the goal of the organization to actually go to go flexible. So there's these leadership constructs that we need to we need to tear apart and maybe even actually reskill. Um, so what I've done personally is um, I have I have a I have a day, I have a set day and and what I'll do in the morning is I will go for a coffee on my deck. I can do it now it's the summertime. It's great. Go for coffee on my deck and sit there and you know, check a couple emails or whatever, but I do it because it gives me some outside air. I go for a walk if I need to over the lunch hour, um, blend that into my day. And I let my team know that that's what I'm doing. And if my team knows that that's what I'm doing, and if I set a boundary that I'm unavailable, set up a team's message, I'm unavailable for the next hour or whatever. What I'm saying is to my team is it's okay for you to do the same thing without explicitly saying it's okay to do, for you to do the same thing, which I do. Yeah. But if I say to you, hey, look, no, it's okay that you, you know, that you've got to take your kid to school at 8.30 or whatever, and I'm bombarding with messages at 8.30, I, I'm telling you, no, it's not really okay. I, I kind of need you to be there. And so I think that's where the leadership piece really comes into play is do we model the behavior 
that aligns with our values as an organization that helps us build a stronger, deeper culture that helps us navigate what is going to be this transformative change as we continue to go through it. Because we're going to continue to go through it. It's not going to be, it's not like it's done. It's not like, you know, tomorrow everyone's going to be virtual and blended or whatever. It is, a, every company is going to go through this in their own pathway. But I think it's really important for leaders to model. And this is where I think there's an opportunity for us to rethink our, our leadership design and our, our leadership models and our leadership training is we need to get to leaders to say, hey, look, here's the impact of you doing that. You know, how do we build vulnerability in leaders? How do we build curiosity in leaders? You know, when, you, when someone says to me, well, I really, I need to take, you know, I need to do this this afternoon because of this, or whatever. I said, well, you know, how important is that for you? It's super important. Got it. Okay, I know from three to four o'clock, you're not around. I'm not going to bother you. So just, let's just do that. So that curiosity and understanding is also really important along with the vulnerability. And I think at the end of the day, success or failure of this transition is going to rest upon how we lead within organizations at all levels. Absolutely. And the that shifting mindset of leadership at all levels of the organization around understanding the different situations people are in. Uh, some people need that extra touch point to stay focused because they're at home and they get distracted by a bunch of different things. And maybe they need that touch point. Whereas other people they're they might be the ones working till 10, 11 at night and not turning off. So to be able to know your team and know, I mean, that's part of the coaching leadership mm-hmm. process is to mm-hmm. be able to adapt your, your leadership style to different people in, in your team and in your organization and uh, you know for executive leaders to be able to see their leadership team below them and say okay yes this is something that this person here maybe they, they have this person has an old school mindset around you know nine to five bums in seats you gotta mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I need to see you uh, be present the whole time and someone else is maybe a bit more abdicating responsibility so how do we how do we help leaders grow and understand those, those nuances of the situations that all the employ- different employees are in? Yeah. So I want a couple of points on that. I just want to share with you that come to mind. So I think there's some, again, going back to some of these essential skills we talked about, I think that there is, uh, there, there's two really important essential skills for leaders, regardless of what level you are in, whether you're a frontline leader or you're, or you're a CEO. The first one is uh, is vulnerability, right? I'm going through this too. I'm not sure what this is going to be like for me or for us or whatever. I'm just I'm with you on this. Let's figure out this journey together. So that vulnerability piece is is really important. But then it's also I'm curious. I'm really I'm really curious about this situation for you, or I'm curious about how I can help you be successful in this environment. What can we do together? So it's kind of like standing with the person. It's, it's, so this whole concept of hierarchy is. Let's throw it out the window. So I think that those are two really important skills. I think the other thing that is emerging is a more individualized contract. So as we immerse ourselves in our lives, whether those lives are blended, right, between work and, and life as we as we know it, that, that individualized contract between yourself as a leader and, and your teammate, your team member, is going to be really important because your your needs, you know, team member A may be different from the needs of team member B. And so I wanna know you, team member A, what's important for you? How do I help you be your best self at work? How do I help support you in your work? That kind of stuff. That's gonna be different than what team member B may need. So I think there's this individualization 
of, of the relationship that is going to be really important for leaders to kind of step into and really begin to develop uh, versus kind of taking a broader leadership. You know, you have to do this today. Here's your group work or whatever. I just think that individualized approach built on curiosity, built on vulnerability. I think that's probably going to be the biggest engagement and retention factor going into the future. There are those two things, vulnerability and curiosity. I agree. I think that's uh, something that more leaders need to to embrace. And and those you you see you see when leaders do embrace that, how much of a positive impact it makes on their team and the performance yeah. of that team. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, and um, I guess related to that, in that sense, um, you know, you'd mentioned before, HR in the past has been a bit more of a transactional department. Um, a lot of the, and going back to the wellness side, a lot of the programs in place are more dealing with symptoms. There's the the benefits plans and the medical and dental and things like that. And I guess some of that's preventative, but it's typically we've seen it's responding to challenges, disability and you know, ability management. And th- uh, those are mm-hmm. things that tend to be a bit more on the, I call it treatment of illness rather than prevention. Right. right. <laughs> and, so it's reactive versus being yeah. proactive and preventing, right? Yeah. And even with the mental health side, I, I guess, those in the mental health industry saw it coming, but I think a lot of companies were really taken aback at how much of an impact the mental health side had. And there have been a lot of programs implemented since then. How do you see, or have, what have you seen in, I guess, across your leaders in, in CPHR of how things are shifting to prevention? Mm. Yeah. That's a great, so I'm going to reflect on this one because I, I came from, uh, I came from uh, the health industry years ago. I worked in the pharmaceutical biotech industry. So we were really into symptom management and all those things around that. And so having conversations about preventiveness was, uh, was really not on the table then. And that was a long time ago. So I, I think that there is, um, there, there's now an emergence of a conversation of how important this is for us, not only from it's, it's the right thing to do for our employees to make sure that they're well, there's actually an economic argument to this, right? So employees who are well, who are engaged, uh, who don't get sick often or don't take sick days, those type of things, they're actually more productive. We know that. Um, so, and we've known that for a long time. So now we, we see this opportunity where we can actually begin to really, I'm gonna say the word leverage that so that we can really get the best of our employees, but not, not in a way that takes advantage of the employees by any means, but really engages employees in the work that we're doing as an organization. And some of the things that we're seeing that are beginning to emerge around this is, um, is purpose work and is, is the values of the employee, of employer aligned to my, to my personal values because that's a wellness thing for me. If I feel good about my work, and if I feel that my values are, are being honored in the work that I do or the team that I'm on or the organization that I'm in, then that there's a natural reaction to be to be holistic and to be well when in those situations where there's the, where there's a conflict is uh, when you don't feel like this is your best place to do your work, where you feel this conflict between you and your manager for whatever reason or you and your organization and the values don't align or whatever it might be. 
that causes stress. That causes strife. We all know that stress and strife are not healthy for you. We know that. That's that's clear in the literature. So what do we do as organizations to really create wellness? And I think that's the conversation now is it's not just about giving people access to a benefit plan, right? It's that's part of it. That's like that's a tool to get you there. But can we go deeper? As an organization, can we actually, within laws and regulations, can we go deeper to provide more to our employees that give them the opportunity to be well at work? Can I ride my bike to work and throw my bike in my office? Can I bring my dog to work? These kind of things that we've seen in culture. Um, yeah, they're they're important, but I think it's a little bit deeper than just that. I think at the at the heart of it. Is, is purpose. And does my purpose as an employee align with your purpose as an employer? And do we share the same values? And if that's the case, I think it's going to be a good relationship. I agree. Yeah. And I don't know if that answers your question, but that's where I wanted to go. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's exactly right. And the prevention of illness is not the same as the improvement of wellness. Mm -hmm. And I think in a lot of organizations, if it's like if people are here at this baseline, it's like, well, they're not sick, so they must be well. And it's like, well, mm -hmm. we've got this term languishing now. It's like right. people are, they're so-so and they're there, they're showing up for work and they're getting stuff done, but they're not thriving. And, exactly. And exactly. I think the, it's the, the iceberg the, of wellness has really not been wellness. It's been getting people to baseline. And if yeah. someone if someone is ill and having major symptoms, yeah, those programs get them to here, but they don't get them to here, and and that's the that's the thing that we've been really working with clients on. And I think learning and development is a huge part of that. Uh, employee skill upgrading is common. Every organization of any size has employee training programs, but they tend to be on the technical aspects. They don't have, there are a lot fewer employee training programs on the personal performance and the how to like scheduling, time management, energy management, yeah. Uh, yeah. personal yeah. wellness. Yeah. You know, yeah. Tim, let's go back to your comment about Zoom meetings, right? So, so here we are. So in the, in the, in the place of work model, I, I could, you know, go from office to office. I walk or whatever. I you know, take a half hour break, whatever. I go to the bathroom, go get a coffee, whatever. To your point, now we're going from meeting to meeting to meeting on Zoom like this, which isn't super healthy, and uh, sitting in a chair, being sedentary. I'm so standing. that's, I, should, I know I should use my, I should use my stand desk today. I didn't, didn't think about it. But um, so that's, I think, part of the challenge, right, is, is what is, what is work design? looks like now that we're moving into this into this new state of being as organizations and i think to your point i mean that iceberg model is huge because there are a lot of people that are that are just well languishing the term or surviving and whatever it is but who are not thriving in organizations they're hidden under the water and it could be as simple as you know i don't really feel safe here this isn't a psychologically safe organization for me because i remember talking to my boss about an issue and he slammed me for it you know, it might've been a small thing, but now I'm not thriving because I don't feel safe. So those are, those are the kind of issues that HR gets to begin to look at strategically to say, how do we, how do we move people in that iceberg from 
you know, from languishing or surviving in organization to actually thriving in organization. And that's where things like uh, data analytics come into play, all the work that we're doing around kind of reading into organizations. That's, that's I think, really important work to inform us as HR leaders of what we can then take to the CEOs and the C-suite and ultimately the board that of organizations that this is what's important, but then tie it back to the creation of value. So like I said earlier, that concept of it being a social good, yeah, it's important to do that. It's critically important socially, but it's also economically good to make those kind of investments. And if you can show that as an HR professional back to you know, your organization, your boss, your CHRO, your VP of HR, whatever it might be, that is powerful stuff. And if that's up to the, to the board level and the C-suite level, and even if you just take an iteration and try something and see what you learn off of it, that's not a bad thing either. So that's that really sits, I think, with with HR to kind of come to the table with those types of things. Well, and it goes back exactly to what we were talking about earlier: is having HR sitting at the the boardroom table at the at the C suite as a strategic partner. When that happens more consistently, these conversations are able to come up, and and I, I'm happy to see more and more companies doing that. And I, mm-hmm. I hope to see in the future, even companies that don't have a C-suite HR position, because HR has been so much more involved, that someone gets elevated to that position in the company. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, one of the strategic things that we talk to our clients about is that whether you, who cares what the title is, who at the C-suite has accountability for people performance? Mm-hmm. and call it whatever mm-hmm. you want um, chief bottle washer if you want I don't, I don't know but it's uh like it's someone at the executive level needs to be accountable for well-being and people performance and whoever takes it under their portfolio that's fine but that, that's not something that's there um, yeah i i think actually tim that this is um as we grow into this this is a board conversation this is a board of directors saying, what are you doing to get the best out of your people and how are you, how are you taking care of them? Yeah. And so, you know, when, when, when the, when the board starts saying that and, and you're able to measure that as an organization to say, here's how we're doing, here's the impact that we're having on our, on our programs, whether they be, you know, broad based wellness programs, whatever they may be, that's when that conversation becomes absolutely real and tangible. Um, so I think it, it does, the, the accountability sits with, I, it, and I'm going to say this and I, I might get challenged on it and that'd be great. I think the accountability sits with the C-suite, particularly the CEO, but I think the responsibility sits with the board for the board to say, this is important. I, so I think board, boards need to be educated on how important this is as a topic coming out of what has been an 18 month experience that is going to continue. Yeah. That, that's actually a really great point. And uh, I hadn't thought of it from that perspective. So awesome. Love, I love learning new stuff every day. That's, that's, that's good. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, all right. Now, we've been diving into a lot of different stuff. What do you see? You know, this is the billion dollar, multi-billion dollar, trillion dollar question. What do you see as the future of work? Oh, man, that is. Yeah. Put on your that's crystal, a, that's crystal a, ball and magic hat. <laughs> gosh, that's a 
That's a good one. So, so it's interesting because you, you look back and you think about, you know, the future of work, you know, five years ago was digital, right? This is, this is, it's going to be a digital environment. And, you know, what we've really begun to see is God is so much more than that. It's, it's so much more than just having teams or zoom or whatever it is. There is so much into what the future of work is. I think the way that I would describe it is that uh, work is no longer going to be a place it's going to be outcomes and how we get to those outcomes. Uh, we're still on that path and on that journey to figure that out. But I'd I'll give you an example. I have staff who, um, who love their vacation and they love their holidays. They love their summers. So we have an experiment this year. We, I said, look, you want to go spend some time in the mountains and do work from there. As long as you got internet access, I don't care. I just want to be able to get a hold of you, get work done. Cause to me, work is an outcome. It's an outcome that me and my leadership team and our organization define together as what we see as important for us, and we're going to go chase it. So how we chase it is going to be kind of up to you, but we're going to chase it together. And so we'll see we'll see where that goes. We have set times that we meet and all that stuff, but it's going to be a bit of a cool experiment. I like that. And to also realize that every business, every organization is at a different phase of transition you used digital yeah. five years ago and i saw a stat the other day that i just i just about fell over when i saw it it was i can't remember the exact number but it was something like how many tens of millions of computers in the world are still running windows 95 <laughs> like it hasn't been supported for, it hasn't been supported for 10 years but there oh, are still man. And, and they, they said like the security implications of that were just like astronomical, yeah. but I'm like, yeah. I was like, wow. Like, but that's, there are still so many computers out there running that and, and businesses are like some old warehouse computer still running this. It's like, you know, held together by Dr. Remember DOS? Remember green yeah, screen I, DOS? I do. Yeah. <laughs> C colon backslash. And... Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. I'm that old. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that goes back. That uh, that goes that goes far back. <laughs> yeah. So I think back to my comment. I think what the and we, and we think about innovation. So innovation comes out of situations like we've gone through, right? The pandemic. So what will come out of this is innovative technologies that it's going to allow us to do the things that we've learned now to do, but do them better. And so that's what excites me. What is the next innovative? technology or innovative process that's going to that's going to come to that's going to continue to help us grow uh as a society as people as organizations and i'm i'm curious so i'm i'm, I'm super curious but it's going to come for sure yeah yeah the change is always happening and it's happening faster and faster and companies and people that can adapt are going to be the ones that thrive and see new opportunity I got to tell you, I think that's an absolute key point because it is about nimbleness. It is about, can you adapt? Can you be agile? Um, if you continue to turn like the Titanic as an organization, chances are you're going to go the way of the, the sharp typewriter or whatever it might be. We need that the pandemic has taught us that we need to be nimble, but we need to move forward. And so what are we going to do as organizations to, you know, ensure that we are nimble, that we're all still being rooted in stuff because we can't be nimble all the time. But when something happens, how can we be nimble and innovative to, uh, to move into that versus backing away? Yeah. And I, I used, to, I used to think it was 
larger organizations were at a disadvantage because of all the bureaucracy and but i i don't know i still see a lot of small organizations that are just trying to plow forward and think the things are going back to normal and a lot of large organizations are i guess they have the resources to be able to pursue new opportunities and pursue different Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. particularly Mm -hmm. if things aren't as busy they have people that they maybe decide to keep and get them focused on a a new opportunity so i Mm -hmm. yeah my thoughts have changed around that significantly over the last year or so Mm -hmm. yeah and so any other things that you'd like to share with listeners that you think if if there is someone's in HR or they're maybe a leader in their organization, what's what's the one takeaway you want them to to leave with and say, yeah, okay, this is something I can do to improve my personal or professional performance. I really think that um, as as individuals, our our wellness is is important for us to be the best we can be for us and society and our families, and I think correspondingly organizations have an obligation to ensure that they create environments where our, our, our employees can thrive and can do their best work, whether that means you're a psychologically safe organization, you're an organization that focuses on belonging and diversity and inclusion, what are all of the things together. If you're doing that, um, there is a real drive towards attracting some of the best talent and that best talent is going to be ready to play because they're going to be focused on themselves as well too. So I think my, my message to everybody is, wow, don't lose, don't lose what we have gained off of this experience of the pandemic. There's so much learning in here. So dig into it as an organization and ask yourself what you've learned off of it and what you can take into the future of your company. That's just going to make you better. Fantastic. Great advice. And thank you again for being on the show. Where can people find you? CPHR Alberta. Yeah, CPHR Alberta website. I'm, I'm there. Uh, LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn a lot. So they can find me there. Um, reach out. I encourage, I love connecting with people. So I encourage people to connect on LinkedIn with me as much as they want. And uh, I do read my messages. I don't know anybody read my messages for me. So I take care of that too. So And, uh, and my email is on our website. So jump there as well too. Awesome. Thank you very much, Rod. And we will catch up with you hopefully in person soon. Yeah. And uh, I, I look forward to meeting again. You bet, Tim. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Had a lot of fun today. Thank you for listening to the Working Well podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your experiences and how you've applied tips from the show to your daily life. So please keep us posted on your progress. To stay up to date with new episode releases, make sure to subscribe to our mailing list by emailing podcast at freshgroup.ca and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thank you everyone for tuning in. And once again, I'm Tim Boris with Fresh Wellness Group. We'll see you on the next episode.